But y'all can grab a seat. Howdy. Howdy. Yeah, all right. This is good. Uh, my name is Todd Berkey, and we are in our Proverbs series. I was here a couple weeks ago, and we got to talk about generosity, and we're going to continue uh, this morning in Proverbs looking at a different topic. But as we do, I, I, I want to just have a confession. I'm hurting this morning, and I'm hurting because I forgot, um, I forgot my purpose yesterday on a jog. So for, the, for those of you who don't know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did share that I was a competitive athlete growing up, and that's hard to, that's hard to let go of, the competitive and the athletic part. It's just hard to let go. And uh, it's been several years ago, I had a friend who said, hey, Todd, you should run a half marathon. Now, they were just suggesting or encouraging, but to a competitive person, that was a challenge. I'm like, you're saying I can't do it? And so instantly, something happened in my life. I became a runner. Okay, and so I went on runs. And what that meant was I am going and I'm going to go a very long distance and I'm also very determined with my time. And so I'm going like on a normal maintenance run here on a, on a Saturday. It'd be about five to seven miles and I'd have to run at a 7.30 pace or faster. Like a, this is what it is, discipline and distance. That's all it is. After several years of living this way, I noticed something as my body started to age I noticed, uh, one, that the Olympic team wasn't going to come running for me because 7.30 is an Olympic time. Um, yep, and nobody really cared if it was 7.30, 7.45, 8. They didn't care what my mile time was. And the other thing I noticed is that I started, my body just started to hurt. And so I had to make this adjustment from being a runner who goes on a run to becoming a jogger who jogs, okay? There's a difference between running and jogging. See, a jog is like, I just need to get the blood flowing. It's just this slow trot. I may go a mile, maybe two. We'll see how I'm feeling. Well, let's just get out there and not hurt ourselves versus I'm going on a run. And understanding the purpose is important because yesterday the purpose was a jog. Now, I have obstacles that get in my way, and it's usually somebody who's actually running. And we're in a college town, so there's college students, and so I come out of my neighborhood, and I look both ways, and I look, is there a runner coming? And if they are, I want to go the opposite direction so the pride doesn't kick in and I return to my old, old behavior, right? Uh, and so I, nobody else was out. I'm just, I'm jogging. It's great. And I begin to think about, huh, I've become a jogger. That's just weird. I don't know if I like this. So I had this internal struggle, like pride, if you will, is saying, return to your old ways. It's time to run. I'm like, no, that hurts. My purpose is to jog. And so I'm going, and I have the internal like, pressure to return. Then I see somebody who is older than I with his shirt off, and he's looking jacked, and he's sprinting like he's running. I'm like, well, that's a challenge. Now... <laughs> His face wasn't looking so good. He looked like he was running versus me who I'm like, hey. Uh, so I resisted that. And then out of nowhere, a large, like something hits me on my arm. And I'm like, I'm jogging here. And I look and it's a bird who is trying to protect her nest. And so this bird starts attacking me. And I realized my purpose is a jogger. It's out the window. It's time to run. And so I'm, I'm, I ran. I forgot my purpose. I sprinted as far as I the bird could fly until it stopped and said, you're, you're no longer a threat, and I quickly returned to my jog. But just that little bit of forgetting my purpose has me hurting today, which is sad. But there's a point in this, not just to be like, oh, Ty got attacked by a bird. 
See, when I forget my purpose as a jogger, when I forget that I'm there to jog and not run, when I forget that, what ends up happening is I overexert myself, I cause pain and injury to myself, and then I'm like, I don't even want to go for a jog ever again. And so I'm like, I'm hurt, I'm tired, there's this negative impact and this negative attitude towards, towards viewing jogging in the future, all because I left my purpose, I forgot my purpose. And the same is true, I found, for, for us, for folks who are following Jesus. That a couple of weeks ago we talked about we were created with a purpose, right? And our purpose is to image God, that, that, that we're here. Genesis 127 tells us, for God created humankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them male and female, he created them. We are created, we are designed with a purpose to image God. And we talked about this. We're not going to chase it down so much this morning, but I just want to remind us we have this purpose to be image bearers, and that should bring us freedom and joy because we can do that any place, whether we're at home, we're at work, whether we're with friends, whether we're alone, it doesn't really matter. We can always live on mission. What is God like? We begin to image that to the world around us. And so that should bring us freedom and excitement. We don't have to wait for some ritual to be like, I'm now worshiping. We can worship and live on purpose everywhere. But when we forget that, when we forget that our purpose is to image him, to make his name known, to act like him, and we say, no, instead I want to return to my old ways that were all about me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, that are all about my own pleasure right now. When we abandon how we're designed for, when we come and live for ourselves, man, it just doesn't work. We end up exhausted, frustrated, and hurt. We go through all the religious motions with a heart that's set on us, and we find ourselves exhausted frustrated, disappointing, and kind of thinking, is it even worth continuing on? And in this series of, of, of Proverbs, it is about skillful living. We have a father and a son who's inviting his son to like the best way to live. But if you remember a couple weeks ago, I said, when I look at Proverbs, what I see here is this invitation to practically live in step with our design. And so that's what we've done here. These aren't mandates saying you better do this or else. They're not promises that says if you do this, this will always happen because we live in a broken world. But Proverbs are a bunch of these practical invitations for you and I to remain on purpose. And that's just really a beautiful thing. And so we've talked about these larger topics, and our hope is that we would begin to see those things through a different lens, be reminded of them, uh, and begin to step into living on purpose to enjoy the abundant life that God has given us. We've talked about friendship. We've talked about choices. We've talked about money. We've talked about generosity, which is these, these larger categories. And again, they're all this is invitation to live in step with our design to enjoy the beauty of life with Christ. And this morning, the topic that we're going to look at is justice. And you're like, well, how does this all work? Well, we're going to be in Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 21. And, and as you turn to Proverbs 21, just a, a few things. Uh, Proverbs mentions justice in several places. Just a few. In 820, wisdom is speaking, and wisdom says, man, I walk in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of justice. If you want to find me, that's where you're going to find me. In 1723, it says a wicked person accepts bribes from an inside pocket to prevent the ways of justice. 1928, a worthless witness makes a mockery of justice, and the mouth of the wicked swallows wrongdoing. 2115, the exercise of justice is joy for the right but terror to those who practice injustice. And 29.4 is 
really key here when you think about who's speaking and who he's writing to, a king writing to his son who will be king. 29.4, the king gives stability to the land by justice, but a person who takes bribes ruins it. And so as we get going uh, this morning, we want to make just a couple stops. We want to look at justice. Like what, what is it? Who's impacted by it? And, and what does it practically look like? And, and we may say, well, I've already got it. Check, check, check. I know all there is to know about justice. And that's awesome. Maybe this will be a refresher for you. I know for me, uh, there was a part of me that was like, okay, what, what exactly is it? What does it actually practically look like? And so as I was walking through, I was really encouraged, and my hope is that you'll be encouraged and challenged too. So let's go ahead and read from Proverbs chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. This will be a a starting point, if you will. And it says this, A king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he pleases. Every person's way is right in his own eyes. But the Lord examines the heart. To do righteousness and justice is preferred by the Lord more than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked is sin. There we go. We've got it. The first thing I want us to see when we're coming in, like, what is justice? I tried to emphasize a word that was mentioned three times. Heart. And just as I mentioned with generosity, it's the same is true here. Justice isn't just something you, you, you do. It's not just an external thing that you can just calculate and go through it. Uh, when you're looking at justice, there's an attitude that comes through here. Every person's way is right in his own eyes, but the Lord examines his, his heart. Now, the heart was the source of action, the source of thoughts. It's the motives. It's the why you do things. And the why you do things matters a lot to the Lord. Uh, And it's interesting, when he mentions this, 21 verse 1, he starts talking about the king's heart. Now remember, in the ancient Near East, the king was the ruler. There was nobody higher than the king. The king could do whatever the king wanted to do. Nobody told the king what to do. But even the king's heart, even the king's motives, even the king's like reasons of why, God was at work there. And so you're like, wow, even the most powerful one, the Lord is at work nudging and directing that heart. But then this is really beautiful for the rest of us common folk. Every person's way. Every person's way is right in their own eyes, but the Lord is examining the heart. And so we know that God is looking at our hearts, that motives matter to him. When it comes to justice, it's not just something you do. It is actually part of, of, of it starts on the inside of these affections that we have. And honestly, we, we shouldn't be surprised by this, right? Because Solomon is writing to his son. Solomon's dad was a guy named David, right? And, and you all know this story. Uh, you had King Saul who was just messed up as the leader. And so the prophet Samuel is charged to go to Jesse's house to find the king's replacement. And so Samuel shows up. He's a little nervous. He sees the oldest of Jesse's children. And he's like, this guy is tall, this guy is strong, this guy is good looking. Certainly, this is the one, Lord. Certainly, this is him. And what does the Lord say? In 1 Samuel 16, 7, he says, Samuel, no. God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord is looking for a heart. Justice starts with this heart attitude that is willing to see things 
differently. See things as God sees things. Justice is an attitude. It's going to be more than just that. And I was thinking about this. Every person's way is right in his own eyes. And we just know this because if if we're left to our own devices, we justify everything we do. Uh, Years ago, growing up, I lived in Michigan and... um, We took the bus to school, which is fine and dandy. The bus stop felt like it was about three miles away. It was probably only about half a mile walk. But that led to just great times together, and it had snowed, and there's kids everywhere. We're riding the bus home, and as the kids just are, we're talking back and forth, and we're like, we should have a snowball fight, and I don't want to have a snowball fight. And then our neighbor John and I started John back and forth, and and John's like, okay, you know what? One for one. I get one shot at you. I don't even know what he was so frustrated by. One shot from you and one shot from me. I'm like, all right, it's on. Competitive Todd's ready to go. Bus doors open. We come on out, get our snowballs ready to go. And I'm, John, you can go first. So John throws. It's a pretty good throw. Kind of nicks the shoulder. I'm like, all right, is that it? Now, John was not a man of honor. John turned around and started running away. I gave him a free shot. It was one for one. And so... I prayed. No, I didn't pray, but I, I, I threw the snowball. And I got to tell you, I've never thrown a snowball so good, so accurately. I've just, I've never done this ever. He's running and it hits him in the back of the head. It, it shatters and then goes down. If you look for the north ever, you know, it went like down on his back. I was like, that was a win. So I get home after celebrating with everybody and my mom meets me. Because John had stopped to talk to my mom. Todd threw a snowball at me. Todd, did you throw a snowball at at John? Yeah. Why? Everyone's right ways are right in their own eyes. Well, because everybody would have called me a chicken had I not. Like, that was my logic. It was like, it's totally fine for me to go ahead and whip this at this kid, hit him in the back of the head, because people would have called me a chicken. It wasn't like, well, here's somebody who's made in the image of God, and I should probably go ahead and extend grace. Like, none of that was there. There was no, the whole justification was my reputation was online. And so, of course, I can do whatever I want if my name's going to take a hit. And so my name can't take a hit, so I had to throw it. So I was justified in nailing him with that snowball. That's just a snowball, but when we really... Look at life. We hope kids outgrow that. But not everybody does. We justify our actions and our compromises all the time when our motives are all about ourselves. And so the Lord says, hey, justice, it starts, it starts back in the heart. There's an attitude. You may be doing the right things with the wrong motives. It's the wrong thing. You may go through worship. You may go through uh, reading your Bible. You may be praying all the time, and, and you're, you're doing it all about yourself so that you can be like, I am the most righteous one in this room. And he looks at it like, man, that, that's worthless. Justice, it, it, it's not just an action. It, it, it involves an attitude to live in step with his design, not excusing my behavior with my mind. The second thing about justice, though, is it's not just an attitude, it is an action as well, right? To do righteousness and justice. To do, there's the doing of righteousness and justice. There's the doing of a righteous action. And it's interesting, this isn't a command here to say like, okay, well, to do righteousness and justice, it's preferred by the Lord more than sacrifice. So you know what? 
I'm just going to skip out on like Christian gathering. I'm going to skip out on praying. I'm going to skip out on ever reading scripture. I'm just going to, as long as I am being righteous, whatever that is, it's a fancy word, and, and just so long as I'm not like cheating people, I'm good. Like that's just, that's just the way it is. This verse isn't saying one or the other because the two can't be separated. It's not this mandate to say no religious activity, but it's to help us see that there's an attitude of of righteousness and justice, it's preferred over just going through the motions. Uh, Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 11. He's having lunch with some Pharisees, and Jesus doesn't ceremonially wash his hands, and so they're all, they're all up in arms, right? And, and Jesus says this. He says, whoa, I mean, <laughs> what a great dinner guest, right, to come on over, and they're making fun of him, and he's like, okay, Woe you, woe you, woe you. He says this, but woe to you Pharisees, for you pay tithes of mint, rue, and every kind of garden herb, and yet you ignore justice and the love of God. But these are the things that you should have done, right? You should have done justice and love the Lord without neglecting the other. So the rhythm of worship then, of, of bringing your tithes and offering, yeah, that, that, that's good. They can coexist. This isn't an either-or thing. And so when justice comes in, it's not like, hey, as long as I'm not just defrauding somebody, I'm good. Where when we're walking in rhythms of righteousness and we're walking in rhythms with the Lord, we understand that our rhythm of worship, of gathering together corporately, of praying together, praying individually, of, of diving into God's word, to be fascinated with who he is, that those are very important as well. They're not mutually exclusive. They all are going to be tied together, which we're going to see here in these two words, underline righteousness and justice. And this drove me a little bit mad this week, if I'm honest, to do righteousness and to, and to do justice. Because these two words, are, they're often paired in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 3, Proverbs are here to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and integrity. Proverbs 8, 20, wisdom is speaking again. I walk in the ways of righteousness in the midst of the paths of justice. In 21, 15, the exercise of justice is the joy for righteousness. And so they're often paired in Proverbs. I'm like, well, what's the difference that they're often paired? Because they're not always paired, but sometimes they are paired. Outside of Proverbs, in Genesis chapter 18, verse 9, God is hanging out with, with, um, with Abraham, and they're going to go have judgment fall on Sodom and Gomorrah. And they're like, should we tell Abraham, like, should we tell him what we're getting ready to go do? And he's like, of course, we need to tell Abraham. And this is why. Because I've chosen Abraham so that he can command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken. Kings reign by both righteousness and justice. So David reigned all over Israel. He administered justice and righteousness for all his people. That's 2 Samuel 8, 15. Even the Lord's throne that's talked about in Psalm 97, 1 and 2, it says this, the Lord reigning, the Lord reigns, may the earth rejoice, may the many islands be joyful, clouds with thick darkness surround him, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And so I'm like, okay, righteousness and justice, sometimes they're together, sometimes they're not, but is there a difference? And as we begin to look, you see that these words are just tied together. And yet they're not necessarily perfectly tied together. It's kind of like this. It's, um, I am not a coffee drinker. Okay, I'm just, thank you. Um, I, 
I'm not a coffee drinker, and so when I meet people, if they want to go to Starbucks, they want to go to Panera, they go to a coffee shop, it causes a lot of anxiety because I'm also really insecure, and I don't know what to order. I don't understand the sizes. I'm, just, I'm not familiar with this, and I don't like coffee, and so I show up, I'm like, well, what do, what do I want? What do I want? Well, I do enjoy, somebody got me a, a chai tea latte, and so years ago, I, I was meeting up with somebody, and I said, I'll have a chai tea latte. And the barista was like, <laughs> I said, why, why are you laughing? Like, well, chai is actually tea. I'm like, oh, insecurities are going off the chart. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I, I thought like chai was a flavor of tea. So he's like, no, it's like you're saying tea, tea. <laughs> and so I'm like, oh, man, I feel horrible. Like I've done everything wrong. And so I'm like, okay, well, I, I would just like a chai, please. And I'm like, okay, what flavor? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is it chai of flavor as well? You know, I was so confused. So chai is tea, and tea is tea, and it is a, a, a certain thing as spices. And so uh, I now order a chai latte. So it implies it is a tea. It is maybe have some milk, and it is a certain flavor with it as well. But I don't order a chai raspberry zinger. I, I don't do that. Uh, but chai and latte, or chai and tea, they're they're combined. They're very similar. The point is there's distinction yet overlap. Now, righteousness. So I started looking at righteousness just really quick. What I was reading there found out that it has a, it's an Arabic root that basically means straightness. So it has the idea of being in action. It's an action that conforms with the norm, which then leads you like, what the heck is the norm? So if righteousness is conformity to a norm, if the norm is myself, there's a way that seems right to a man, right? <laughs> I can conform to that all the time. So within the scriptures, we know that that's conformity to God. And so you see like a, a righteous deed is one that's done in step with how God lives. Uh, we see it several places, but one here in Deuteronomy we see, and it will be righteousness for us if we, all caref- if we are careful to follow all of this commandment before the Lord our God, just as he commanded. So Deuteronomy, it's the final letter that Moses is writing. He's saying, you guys are going to go in. I want you to enjoy the land. The best way to enjoy the land is to image God. And so you will be doing righteousness when your actions, when you are living in step with God. These are the righteous actions. He's shown you what to do. And so you sit there and you're like, okay, I now kind of understand a little bit about righteousness. In the most simplistic way, righteousness is to live in step with God. It's, it's simply there. Righteousness is simply to live in step with God, or if you will, to image God. It's how you live. But justice is very similar. It's also conformity to God's action, but it's conformity in judgment or declarations. And so we see this in uh, 1 Kings. This is uh, talking about King Solomon, who is the wisest king, the writer here. Uh, A tough case was brought before him. Two women, one child had died. They both had kids. One child died, and they both claimed that the living one was their child each. And he says, okay, bring out the sword. We're going to cut the child in half because we need to find out the truth. And so the real mom says, no, don't do that. She can have it. He's like, now I have discerned. I found truth, and God rejoices in truth. I've made a truthful judgment, and I am giving her justice. And so the nation hears about this, like, oh my goodness, his wisdom is off the charts. How he, is, how he judged here was in step with who God is. When all Israel heard about the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king because they saw the wisdom of God was on him to administer justice. 
And justice comes to this idea with, with judgments. It's the idea of laws, of judging cases, of declarations that you, meet, that you make that basically encourage those around you to live in step with the Lord. A lot of words, Todd, break it down for me because I'm a little, um, I'm a visual learner and I'm, I'm a pretty simple person. Righteousness is to live in step with God. Justice is to rule in step with God. Now, these are very boiled down, simple things. You're going to find the word righteousness is sometimes used and translated as justice. But as the whole, righteousness is how I am living in step with God. And justice is how I am ruling in step with God. And so this is me being directive. I know how I am treating people. I am, when I treat them as God would treat them, I'm administering justice. And so many of us will go like, well, shoo, you know, I... Uh, <laughs> I don't rule. I'm not a king, so I guess justice doesn't deal with me. Kings of Israel were supposed to have righteous and just ruling. They were to create an environment that encouraged others to follow God. We all have spheres of influence. We may not rule as king of this land, but we all have spheres of influence. Whether it be our family whether it be that we run a company or we have people who work for us, whether we have a, a social group of people that we have influence. And so in all those places where we have influence, are we stewarding those to create an environment that says the best way to live in this environment is to follow the Lord? See, we all, righteousness we kind of get, I can live in step with the Lord, but do I rule in step with the Lord? Am I setting up things around me that encourage and promote others to follow the Lord? Hebrews 3.13 talks about that, right? But encourage one another every day as long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So these words, they're close. Chai tea, right? Because can you really administer justice if you're living all for yourself? You might get broken clocks you know, right twice a day. They're really hand in hand. If I'm living in step with the Lord, I'm going to, of course, rule in step with the Lord. But if I had to separate them, that's how I would separate them. You're like, well, why did you just tell us this? I'm glad you asked. One, again, we all have spheres where we rule. And I want to challenge us and I want to invite us. Are we setting up structures within our family, structures in our workplace, in, our, in the social settings that we have influence? Are we encouraging people to follow the Lord? Or are we just like, whatever's convenient for me? The second thing is, if this comes, if righteousness is like to live in step with God, and then he's also looking for justice to rule in step with God, the reality is this, none of us do these things perfectly. Not one of us. Romans 3.10, there is no righteous person, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Uh, all of us have, have messed up in one or both of these areas and continually are, don't know, but all of us have, dis have created this distance between his image and how we live, and that distance is called sin. And that sin, because of who God is, says there's a penalty. Because you were designed to image me, and when you refuse to image me, that distance is called sin, and sin has a penalty called death. 
And so we were all born broken, separated with a death sentence hanging over us because it's a just, fair, right thing. And we know it. We live our lives always trying to fill that void, trying to, to bring life into this death. And we do it either by relationships or our careers or by being just generous to other people. Or we think that marriage will do it. We think kids will do it. We think all these different things will fix the brokenness. But none of it will because sin brings death. And the only thing that can take care of that death is to have the penalty be paid. The just penalty is the death of a righteous one. And God so loved you, God so loved me, that he, he sent his one and only perfect son who was perfect in his righteousness, perfect in how he ruled. And he took our place. He paid the just penalty for you and I. And it's incredible because he doesn't ask that we earn it. He just simply says, you know, believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but has eternal life. And we're like, yeah, 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 I, I hear the gospel. I think this is an interesting thing. The first time that righteousness is actually used in Scripture, the gospel being all about not works, but about grace. It's not about how hard you work, but about tr how much you're trusting. Like, it's, it's just you're exhibiting trust in the Lord. And God's grace is the one that covers all of that. It's very interesting. The first time that righteousness is used is in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. If you're not familiar with what's going on there, Abraham's been given this covenant, given all these promises, and Abraham is actually in the land. He went, he left everything that was comfortable to him. He followed the Lord, and, and there he is. He's living in the land. He's separated from Lot, and as he's wandering around, he's talking to the Lord, and he's like, man, Lord, I'm kind of upset because I don't have an heir. I don't have an offspring. You know, this person's going to, to uh, take over everything for me. I'm just, I'm kind of discouraged by this, and the Lord says, no, 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 Abraham. Somebody's going to come from you. I'm going to give you a child. Trust me. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Righteousness cannot be earned by your actions. Righteousness is only received from the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. The grace of God is amazing. So, so justice is ruling in step with God. Righteousness is living in step with God. We're, we're here to talk about justice. We've got to keep moving. And so who? Who is impacted by justice? Well, that's a great question. The answer is, well, everybody, Right? Those who are in control, they have uh, power, they are commanded to give justice to others, and those who don't have it, they are receiving of justice. So justice impacts all, we either give it or receive it, and it's the best way to live. Justice aims at all, but it focuses on the least of these, because remember, justice is ruling, it's ruling in step with God, and God loves all, including those who seem like they are outcast, who seem like maybe they're not going to give us value in return. We read about this here uh, in Deuteronomy 24, 17. You shall not pervert the justice due a stranger or an orphan, nor seize a widow's garment as a pledge. And he, he's going to go through and list a whole bunch of things here that we'll come back to in just a moment. But justice is declaring. You're not going to not declare to the stranger or to the orphan or to the widow. You're not going to withhold the fact that they are incredibly valuable and they are worthy of protection and provision because that's ruling in the step 
with, with the Lord. He, he, he continues to show us practically what is that in, in, in Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 11. A just balance and scales belongs to the Lord. All the weights of the bag are his concern. He goes over and over again about the, the people who are like, oh, you're gonna, I'm going to buy from you, and so I have really light weights for that. So you're going to put a lot, of, a lot of grain on here. Oh, it's only a pound. Hmm. But then when you go to sell it, you have uh, heavier ones, and so it's a, you, you've shrunk down and you've cheated on both sides of things. Uh, the Lord... It's like, that's not just. That's not being fair on either end of those things. Uh, modern day, I'm like, man, it's like a used car dealership. Like, you come in and you're trading it in. Like, how do you give somebody the accurate value? But you give them the accurate value, and then you sell it for an accurate value. I'm like, how, how do you do that? Are you being honest all the way through and through? Talks about no bribes, uh, giving justice here. Proverbs uh, 17, 23, a wicked person accepts a bribe from an inside pocket to pervert the ways of justice. It's going, man... All people, all people deserve justice. An environment where they're reminded of their purpose, they're reminded of their value. And the reality is, this creates confusion. It created confusion. It was very shocking back in the day. It's shocking still today. Um, Proverbs talks about this. Evil people do not understand justice. But those who seek the Lord understand everything. That's kind of a bold statement. See that evil people aren't over here saying I'm about God and his agenda and I'm not looking at things through an eternal perspective. I'm over here in my own kingdom that is all about me and my comfort here and now. And so why in the world would I ever try to help somebody who could never help me back? And when they see justice unfold, they're confused. I don't understand. Whereas the righteous, whereas those who are, are in step with the Lord, we understand, we see value in every single human being because even in the brokenness, the image of God is still there. There's still a hint of that. In James chapter 3, verse 9, talking about the tongue and this weirdness that, man, we use our tongue, we bless the Lord and Father, and then at the same time, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. God is saying... All have incredible value. And justice, we're going to see three things here about justice, what it practically looks like, but being just isn't done out of pity. It's because there's great value for these folks. And so our heart turns around and says, I'm in step with you, Lord. You see people with great value. I see people with great value. I don't see them as obstacles or objects to be used. I see them as like for whom that God loves and for whom Christ died. They deserve justice. And I will do all in my power to give that to them because you, God, are a God of just justice. You're inviting me to exercise justice as well, and that's confusing to others. So what does it practically look like? I'll move very quickly through here. First thing you're going to see is there's an element of protection. You shall not pervert the justice due to a stranger or an orphan, seize a widow's garments as a pledge. That's where 24-17, we looked at that. 20, Proverbs 22, 22 through 23 says, Do not rob the poor because he is poor, nor crush the needy at the gate. For the Lord will plead their case and take the life of those who rob them. He's defending. He's protecting. It doesn't just protect and speak up for folks who sometimes just don't have voices. It also provides. We see this back in Deuteronomy. When you reap... 
When you reap the harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you are not to go back to get it. It shall belong to the stranger, the orphan, and to the widow. Do you see, again, it's the defenseless one like, hey, you made a mistake back here. You made an error. You're not going to come back and demand it back. It's, it's for those whom I love. But it wasn't just that. Leviticus, Leviticus 19.9 talks about when you harvest the field, when people who have the land don't harvest all of it. You're leaving outer rings for those who seemingly have nothing. You are giving justice to them. You are providing for them. Jesus talks about that right in Matthew 25, the end when they're, when they're gathering. He says, man, I was, those who came in, he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous are going to say, when? He's like, when you did it to the least of these. He was all about viewing people as he views people with incredible value, and that's what moves us to protect and to provide. And one last thing, it's not just about protection and provision. That can seem really impersonal. You see there is a very personal, justice is very personal. It's not distant. Boaz and the story of Ruth, if you're not familiar, Ruth is not of the nation of Israel, uh, and she's a widow. So she's a stranger and a widow, two of the three, right? She's back in the land, and she's out looking for food and happens to come across Boaz's field. And Boaz comes out, looks around, and he says, says to his servant who's in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? I see her. Who is she? Oh, well, this is, this is who she is. Widow came with Naomi. Oh, Ruth, come here. Ruth, I want you to know this. Don't go to anybody else's fields. You come here. My people will offer you safety. My people will provide for you. Hey, you people, when, you, when you're gathering, you leave things behind. You make it easy for her. You see, there's a cost associated here, but you see, it's very personal. It's not just something at a distance. Jesus picks up on this, too. In, in Luke chapter 14, Again, he's, he's having lunch again with the Pharisees, and he's, he's looking around, and he just sees all these people who are looking for position, and they're like, wow, these are all important people who are here. And so he says this. In Luke chapter 14, verse 12, he says, hey, guys, when you actually give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives nor wealthy neighbors. Otherwise, they may invite you to a meal and return, which, and that will be your repayment. But when you give a banquet, when you give a banquet, when you bring people into what you're doing... Invite people who are poor, who have disabilities, who are limping, and people who are blind, and you'll be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. It's incredibly personal. I've heard a lot of information on it. I just want to pull on the thread here. And so as I was thinking more and more about justice, I was thinking, okay, so there's an attitude, there's action. It deals with people, but it also deals with possession. It comes back, it has to reflect our design to live in, in step with the Lord and also with ruling of how we influence other people. So really, what, what is justice? This was the, the Todd Berkey definition. Again, it's not going to come out any, any place, like any book. But justice is to view and treat people and possessions as God intended and encourage others to do the same. To view and treat people and possessions as God intended and encourage others to do the same. 
One last thing. There's always an obstacle. Just like me, and I'm a jogger now. There's an obstacle that makes me want to be a runner again. My pride wants me to be a runner again. I see somebody else who's running past me. I'm like, oh, and they can do it. Challenge accepted. Like, I want to say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to forget my purpose. I'm going to be a runner again. And the same is true here. In 21, verse 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked is sin. Uh, We just don't have time to unfold this, but I will simply say this. Haughty eyes is the attitude of I'm better than everybody else. I'm pretty hot stuff. A proud heart says I desire my own glory and not his glory. And so the obstacle isn't the amount of money given or the time that's given. The obstacle is pride. It's selfishness. It's all about me, myself, and I refuse to see other people as God sees them. I refuse to do that. The obstacle is pride. Let's land the plane. Uh, Let's not do that. Okay. So we covered... (laughs) There we go. Uh, (laughs) We covered what is justice... Simple, it's to rule in step with the Lord. Uh, we, we talked about uh, we are to rule, we all rule in some spheres. My definition, to view and treat people and possessions as God intended and encourage others to do the same. Who's impacted by justice? Everyone. Its aim and focus is though on the defenseless, the weak, the strangers, the orphan, the widow. What does justice look like? It, it has protection, an element of protection, provision, and it's very personal. And now the application, I think, is there. Awesome. Here's my challenge. What do we do with all this information that we just kind of went all over the place, Todd? It's simply this. The first off, you got to know, well, how does God even view people? Get to know God's attitude. Great place to find that since Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. Look at the Gospels. Begin to read through and see how does Jesus deal with the least of these. When he's leaving a place where people want to kill him and there is the blind boy in, in, in John chapter 9, he's not like, well, my safety matters most. He stops and helps. He stops and engages. Get to know him, because as we get to know him, that way we can rule and step with him. We can live and step with him. We have to know what he's like in order to do that. And then I encourage you to, to us all to reflect. Do we view people and do we view our possessions as God intended? Or is it just all about us? Do we extend justice by going, I view people and I view my possessions as, as you intended, Lord, and so they are yours. You can use these resources however you want. And the last is take a step. Now, here's the reality. There are, there are too many needs in the world for us to sit and, and meet all of them. There's just no way that we can go in and take up every cause. It's just not possible to do that. But we can take a step. We can, we can take a step. Maybe consider Jesus' banquet idea, and maybe that's really overwhelming for you, and say, okay, let me just start, instead of a houseful, let me start with one. Let me think about, who's the stranger? Do we have any strangers who are here, people who are from a foreign land, who have no idea how things work over in the U.S.? They're here maybe to study. Isn't it great? We as a church, we want to communicate such great value we want, we want these international students who, who arrive to go, man, you are so welcome, you are so loved, and I, we're here for you because you have great value, and God has been pursuing you, and we just want to care for you, so we do this big giveaway. So maybe your step is to, to get involved with the, with the big giveaway. And maybe more than just being involved on that one day, maybe it's to like, I just met 
I just met Manas Vinny, and she's awesome. We got to have her over to our house. Her and her friends, they got to come over because we just want, we want to know them. We, 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 we want to love them. We want to share our lives with them. There's no hidden agenda. We just want to communicate the beauty of, of who, they, who God has made them to be. We want them to just enjoy fellowship together. We want to help protect when they're here. We want to help provide when they can't drive from point A to point B. We just want, we just want to love on them and show them God's incredible grace. What about the widows? We have widows and widowers. We go and sit with them. Maybe there's orphans. There's a foster system. Caring for families who foster. Do you know there's a loneliness epidemic since COVID? There are a ton of people who are, who are just hurting, who are incredibly lonely. And they might even be here. Some of the most lonely times were in a church. I would come in hoping that somebody would just I, just, I remember I was at my loneliest place in life and I would walk into a church with the church face on, like, I'm good, I'm good. But I was so desperately lonely. Just like, would somebody move towards me? And I would turn around and I would leave. And I was like, oh. So maybe your step is even just right here in the room. Maybe it's the person behind you that you sit behind all the time, but you never talk with them. Maybe you get to know them. Maybe you begin to invite them. And maybe they're college students when they, when they return and arrive that we, we just, we, we're moving towards whomever because we just don't know who's suffering from loneliness. How do we exercise justice? It may not cost us really much money, but it might cost us a little bit of time. The last thing is simply this. These are not mandates. This is Proverbs is not coming through. So you better exercise justice or you're out of here. The grace of God is sufficient for us in our weakness. So the times that we don't, grace covers us. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. These are not mandates. Justice, extending justice, is this beautiful invitation for us to live in step with our design, to image God. And man, I hope that's something that we, not just corporately, but also individually, God stirs and directs us like, man, where do I exercise justice in my life? Let's pray. God, thank you for this day you've given us. Lord, it's, a, um, it's been a day for me that's actually been really long already with a very early wake up and one filled with a lot of distractions. Uh, and yet, Lord, you're good. Lord, thank you that you are a God of, of, of justice, Lord, that you come in and you look to defend those who... Um, the world looks as like, mm, they just look past and look over. And yet, Lord, you see value because you've created every human being with incredible value. And because of that value, because of that love, we are called to move, to protect, to provide, to be personal, to be relational with them. Lord, we thank you again for all these invitations that you give us to live on our design, to image you. We absolutely love you. In Jesus' name, amen.